Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This podcast is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. Chris, good to be with you for another podcast. Hey, Lynn, before we get going, people will be doing this lesson on my birthday. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. Happy birthday, Chris. Joining the birthday boy and me is Dr. Ron Brown. Ron, thanks for being with us for another podcast. It's always my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, Dr. Brown wrote the commentary that appears in the Herschel Hobbes commentary. And uh, Ron, I'd like to, at the very end of our podcast, to talk about what's coming up with the Hobbes commentary. So let's just, we'll come back. We'll circle back to that. But Ron has been writing the commentary for Hobbes for many, many years now, the sole writer for it, and always does an excellent job. Chris, I want to ask a question. Actually, Ron, I want to include you, include both of you in this. I want us to start by, by looking at an icebreaker that appeals, appears in the personal study guides. Here's the question. What actor's performance in a movie stands out in your mind? Well, I'm, I'm not uh, much of a contemporary movie goer, but I love, I love older movies. And it just so happens that uh, earlier this week, uh, that I watched an old movie it was uh, in the 60s, I think, about 60, 61, uh, Inherit the Wind, which is the story about the Scopes monkey trial that took place in, in uh, Dayton, Tennessee in 1925. It's been fictionalized uh, for this movie, but the stars were Spencer Tracy and Frederick March. And uh, they were the two attorneys that were pitted against uh, one another in this movie. And I, I commented after watching the movie just how how much I enjoyed the portrayal of those two veteran actors and how uh, uh, just how much they brought to life the characters that they were portraying. So they're fresh on my mind, and I think both of those are outstanding actors that have other movies too that are just as impressive. In that same era, Gregory Peck, played an attorney, Atticus Finch, in To Kill a Mockingbird, which was another one of those landmark performances uh, by an actor. Uh, Lynn, I have a couple of others that are more recent. They, these are a color movies, Ron, <laughs> <laughs> and, and talkies. <laughs> Just thought yeah, I'd throw have, that out there. You have to be able to read to watch the movies I watch. <laughs> um, one... In both of these movies, when I walked out of the theater, I said, that is going to win that actor an Academy Award. The first one is Heath Ledger as the Joker in the Batman series. And the other one was Daniel Day-Lewis in his portrayal of Lincoln several years ago. That's very good. Yeah, two good choices. I think of Gary Oldman, and I'm not going to refer to any particular one movie he, he's in because every movie he does – He's one of those guys that he t totally transforms himself, just both in his voice, his mannerisms. He, he has played some of the, the really quintessential bad guys in the movies. And he's also played Winston Churchill. And there's been a few movies I go, is that really Gary Oldman? Because he looks so different. Uh, and, and these are guys, everyone you guys mentioned is uh, they do great performances. And we admire actors who can do that and do it well. But here's the catch. While we can admire these actors that can really throw themselves into a character, that should not be said of us as followers of Christ. Who we are should always be the same. 
We should never be acting. Uh, we should we we should have full on integrity, consistency, the same person in public, in private, good days, bad days, wherever we are, we should be the same. And that's the emphasis we're going to look at in our study today, in our study called Set Apart in the Way We Live. We are to be set apart from the way the world lives, but set apart should always look and feel the same. So our focus is on uh, being Christ-like in everything that we do, um, that it is a natural part is our walk. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that uh, terminology. Now, Lynn, why in the world did we take time to talk about movies as an introduction to uh, this study? I know it feels random to talk about something like who's, who's your favorite actor uh, in a Bible study, but these are icebreaker questions that appear in our, in our personal study guides. And the, the design is kind of twofold. Number, the key thing is it's an easy question. Anybody can answer even like Ron Brown, who hasn't been to a movie and a current movie in a long time. We, we all can have those we can all look back and it's an easy one to answer. But with that, it gets the group talking. And it's amazing what happens once you get them talking. And then we were in a, and we get into the Bible study. They're more likely to talk about the other questions, the questions that are designed around the passage in the Bible study itself. So what happens is, was we talk about actors, which does seem like a random question in the leader guide content. And you'll see it also in the personal study guide introduction called the Bible meets life. We segue from talking about great performances by actors, but we segue to why we should not be actors as Christians. It just provides a natural segue from something everybody can talk about to getting us into the passage. The lesson writer uh, talks about the, uh, the Greek uh, theater, uh, how how plays were performed in the past, and um, how the term hypocrite means uh, one who wears a mask. And so that's a part of the connection as well, uh, that where he does a good job of transitioning to the reality is that should not be said of us. Good right. job. So our focus this week in our Bible study is going to be on the fact that we are to grow in Christ likeness as we walk in truth and love. We are going to be in the small little book of Second John. It's not a book many Bible studies uh, come from, but we're going to be in Second John today. But Ron, would you help us out here? What do we know about this letter? It's a mysterious letter in some ways. Uh, I, I really enjoy getting into some of these lesser studied uh, books of the Bible, and Second John is one of those. I mean, it's uh, you know consists of one chapter of thirteen verses, and so uh, I I enjoy trying to get behind what prompted somebody to write such a brief note, uh, and uh, and so in this case the 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 writer is not explicitly identified in the text. He's called the elder. And so how do we understand elder? Is it, is it a position? Uh, is it just a reference to, uh, uh, to an older person? It could be one or the other, or there are ways in which it could be both. Most Bible expositors have concluded and agree that uh, 
Uh, the letter was written by John, the same author of the first John and third John and the Gospel of John and the Reve Revelation of John. Uh, not everyone agrees, but the majority, I think, I think it's safe to say the majority do. And so uh, there, there's so much uh, crossover in some of the uh, themes that are even found in this very small book uh, with what's found in his other letters and uh, in the gospel. And then it, it, this is written in a, you know, a typical first century fashion. So he identifies himself as the elder. Uh, then he also identifies to whom he's writing but the identification there is also a little mysterious because he refers to the recipient as the elect lady and her children. So, okay, how do you understand that? Is it to a particular lady and her offspring? Is it to a particular lady who has people who meet in her house church? Or is it a way of referring to you know, a, a house church, and this lady is either it's at her house or she is at least a significant uh, leader of that particular body of worshipers. And so you, uh, you, you've got that mystery right there, and there are multiple ways of determining, uh, you know, just, just who the writer is and who the, the recipient is. We don't know what the occasion really was, except for as you, the, the letter unfolds, He's obviously concerned about themes like love and truth and living authentically. So that does suggest that there was something that was causing threat to this particular church. As I understand it more to be a church, uh, that there was a threat going on there that was threatening uh, the uh, authenticity of their lifestyle. And he is urging them to live according to the truth and according to the love that is found in the gospel. So, uh, you know, those are those are some of the things that uh, help us understand the background of the letter, uh, even though everything is maybe not as explicit as our uh, Western minds wish they were, because we like to know all of the details, and uh, we would like to know it in uh, uh, unquestionable fashion. And sometimes we just don't have that information available to us. It's also fascinating, Ron, that uh, for those of us who have been preachers and teachers for a long time, uh, there are there are studies that we read and themes uh, that we're told that these books are about. And uh, I don't know, something's happened in my life in, in the last uh, several years where um, I have had some assumptions about what those things were because of the study that I did. And as you read the books of the Bible, you know, it, it's not always clear. You have to read the book and read in between the lines and see what the issues were that the author was addressing to know that, oh, so this is why he wrote this book. It's not like they start out and say, I'm writing this because. Well, and I, and I find sometimes, in, in, at least in our Bible study group uh, at my church, that uh, we're often asking questions for which there is no answer in the text. And, uh, you know, so we, we sometimes allow our curiosity to obscure the message that is there. Okay, we don't know that, so let's focus attention on what we do know. Uh, so we, if you don't know the writer's name, you don't know why he wrote it, you don't know where he was, you don't know what the date was, but you do know what he said. And so let's process 
what we said, what he said, and what we know, rather than get uh, our discussions tangled up in speculation uh, about things that we we just re- will never decide if we sp- even spend the whole session talking about it, and then we miss the truth that uh, is intended by uh, the book or or the letter uh, originally. So what we're going to look at then in this. A study of Second John is we are going to pull out three principles that uh, that are clear that are, are right there in front of us. Again, remember we're talking about what it means to grow in Christ likeness, and John is going to show us three areas where we need to be walking. We need to walk in truth. We need to walk in love, and we need to walk in obedience. Let me begin reading in verse one. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I am very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, in keeping with the command we have received from the Father. So the word of the day, the word of the passage is the one that he keeps repeating five times. Truth. Yeah, it's pretty clear, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And of course, you know, he's talking about truth because this idea is probably dealing with a heresy of some kind uh, that was trying to infiltrate into the church. Define heresy for our, the folks who are listening. Uh, Heresy is a false teaching related to one of uh, related to a major doctrine. That's the simplest way I can say it. Well, and, and of course, and maybe uh, maybe we're going to talk about that, but uh, and also what is truth? Uh, you can get into a kind of a uh, philosophical discussion about truth uh, and misunderstand how John is using the term here, because I, I, I think it's safe to say that you could substitute the word truth with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because for him, that is ultimate truth. That is the ultimate reality uh, is found in who Jesus is. And Jesus, you know, acknowledged that himself in John 14, 6, where he said, I am the truth. So when we're talking about truth, we're talking about who Jesus is, uh, what Jesus came to do, and the gospel message of salvation that is uh, available uh, in and through him. And so what John is saying here, he's, he's thankful as he said, I'm glad to hear some of your children walking in truth. He's coming back to that central thing, that call to walk in that truth, that truth of who Jesus is. Okay, but some of your children are. Not all of you are. <laughs> and that's a part of what helps us to know that this is an issue uh, for this uh, body of believers. And you bring that in our context today, as, as we've already hinted at, that the question is, what is truth? That is certainly uh, not a, that may be an old question, but it's certainly a one that's being batted around a lot today. You know, we live in a time when there are people that uh, deny the truth, or, or they might say that you have your truth, I have my truth, and we can all have our different truths. Even though there may sound contradictory, there's still truth. Uh, but there's a lot of people that, that deny that truth exists at all. But I want us to come back to what Ron has already pointed out to us, that the fact that truth, in, in John's context, as it should be in ours, that truth is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. So we are to walk in truth. We Again, that, that, 
that image, that metaphor um, is provided for us, that uh, it's something that's a part of our lives. We live it. We walk as a daily, it's a part of our journey. And uh, this is a good reminder to us that we need to live what we say we believe. We need to be faithful to those things. And, and apparently when you walk in truth, it is evident. Good. Because, uh, you know, John has somewhere encountered some of these children uh, and it it is from the way he is talking about it, I'm overjoyed to find that some are walking in the truth. Somewhere he saw them and saw evidence in their lives that they were living according to the truth, the ultimate reality in Jesus. And of course, that, that would mean a lot to him because uh, that was his message. And uh, he has exerted uh, apparently a lot of influence uh, on the believers in this church. And I think all of us are encouraged when we have taught the truth and we have seen people have learned the truth from us, not just in the sense of uh, it becoming a, uh, intellectual knowledge, but that it becomes lifestyle. Uh, I'm certainly more encouraged if I hear somebody who has uh, heard teaching and preaching and decided to apply it than just that they decided, okay, I accept that in my, in my head. It, Maybe one day it'll work its way down to my heart and into my hands and feet. Probably about the last three years, this word walk has really taken on some, I don't some significance for me as I think about the Christian life um, to realize that how, how much that metaphor of walking or Chris use, you use the term that journey, how much of that really appears in scripture, uh, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord continue to live in him. That idea that it's a journey. Uh, there are too many people. I, the truth of Jesus is a truth that they hold on to intellectually. Ron, you were just alluding to this, but they don't necessarily walk in it. That walking, they say, I, I've embraced this truth so much that it impacts, it colors, it transforms the way I walk. And now I walk in the truth. Continuing on to 2 John 5 and 6. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. So there are those words again. Walk according to his commands. Walk in love. Um, so so John this is this is a theme for John. Uh, we see it in the Gospel of John. He's the one who says that uh, Jesus said to his disciples, "I give you a new commandment that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you will love each other." And by this, the whole world, other people will know that you are my disciples. Uh, he would go on later, and this is in our uh, personal study guide uh, to in John fifteen just moments later to say the this this is what real love is that a man will lay down his life for his friends and you are my friends uh so john emphasizes this in in the in first john uh god is love and we are to be all about love so it, it's not a surprise for us to see this emphasis on love and walking in love uh in this letter 
the idea that truth and love are in this together, to me, that's critical. Truth and love must be together. Uh, we all know people who really have embraced the truth, and they may even they may even talk about the truth, but there's no love in their life. There's no love in the way they communicate about truth. And when there, you have truth without love, it becomes very harsh, mm-hmm. very uh, be, can be very painful. You know, I was about to make the same comment, frankly. I, I was trying to fashion how to say it in my mind. You said it, uh, you said it well, but you can't. The two are so bound together. I'm not sure you can have one without the other. That's right, Ron. And, and if you look at it the opposite way, you can have love without truth. But it's what's that love? Cling, love has got to be clinging to truth. Or other words, we're, we'll just we'll just fall for anything. One of the questions that we ask is um, hopefully will lead to this type of conversation is uh, why is the connection between love and truth so essential in the Christian life? So there's a way to ask a question to get people to to make that connection and have a conversation about how and why truth and love go together. Um, hand in glove, if you will. I heard a wonderful illustration of this, uh, talking about two elements, sodium, uh, or chlor. Well, sodium is an, an element that never is found by itself. Sodium is always attached to some other element. The other element is, uh, chloride chlorine, and which is a very harsh substance by itself, extremely harsh. But when you take the sodium and you take the chloride and put them together, you have salt, sodium chloride. And what you have with with sodium, which is always looking for something to cling to, that's like love. Uh, People who are desperate for love, they're going to cling to anybody that shows them a little attention, a little affection, uh, any kind of attention, they cling to that. And truth is a lot like chloride. It's caustic. uh, uh, Chloride is deadly by itself. And when we're just talking truth with no love whatsoever, it is caustic. It is harsh. But you take sodium chloride, which makes salt, and you put love and truth together, you make salt. We are to be called, we are called the salt of the earth. We are to be that salt that makes people uh, thirsty for Christ. And we do that when we express love and truth side by side. It is interesting that. You do find, and I think this is what you were alluding to a moment ago, that, you know, there are people who come down pretty heavy on the love side, and it's not wrong to love, of course. Uh, And then there are people that come down heavy on the truth side, and of course you want to be true, but it's the blend of those two things where I'm able to communicate truth with love, and I'm able to communicate love that is based on truth that is at the heart of the gospel message, because love and truth are found in Jesus. And if if you're loving something that is not of Jesus, or if you're talking, quote, truth that is not of Jesus, uh, you know, you've, you've kind of missed the whole point, especially of, of what the gospel is about. We come into this third section in verse seven. We kind of wrap this up, up in a sense by looking at this idea that we walk in obedience to the teachings of Christ. Verse seven, many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Christ, Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. 
Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. Again, John writes um, and makes this connection in the gospel of the importance that we um, that we are obedient, that we know Jesus' commands, and that we keep his commands. Uh, John 14, 21, 23, uh, both talk about uh, if you if you love God, here's here's this is the evidence of it. You 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 show it by keeping his commands. Uh, I was uh, I guess I was in seminary when I read Charles Colson's book Loving God, and uh, he was the one that helped me to understand that obe- obeying the commands of Jesus is a way that we express to God, "I love you, I love you, God." And I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to follow your teachings. I'm going to follow your commands. And I hope that we can get to some of that in our conversations, uh, in our groups, the importance of of demonstrating uh, our love for God by being obedient to the teachings of Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm drawn to uh, uh, the statement where he said, look to yourselves, which verse is... Uh, uh, you know, be on guard, maybe a way strange. It's verse eight uh, that uh, uh, he does point out the responsibility of the individual to make assessments of his or her own life and to make choice or decision about whether they will be a person marked by love and truth. And uh, so this is where the real challenge comes to each of us personally as to, okay, I, I hear the message of love and I hear the message of truth and I hear the message about Jesus, but what am I going to do with it? And, you know, this is where his appeal is uh, for them to, to do some, some uh, introspection and make a particular choice that you are going to live as a person uh, who uh, uh, responds positively to the message in Jesus of truth and love. And that, you know, as he goes on to talk about, so that uh, you, you will reap the full benefits of that kind of relationship. And so, you know, this is a, this is a lesson uh, you know, a, a session of study that can bring the gospel message down to me personally. What am I going to do with what I've just uh, heard and what I've engaged in conversation about, about the truth and about love? So the, there's a reference to deceivers, um, those who do not confess that Jesus came in the flesh. So that gives us some kind of idea of, of who this Antichrist, and it's not an individual, it's, it's people that teach something that is different from what the gospel teaches or from what the Bible teaches. So I think this is a good way to have a conversation too, with the importance of being discerning and understanding what the, the importance of believers going deep in their Bible knowledge and faith so that they know the truth and live it and recognize something when it's a false teaching. And I think that's a good point to make about, of the reference to Antichrist, because sometimes we immediately go to a, a, an eschatological perspective on that, an end time, and I, I'm not sure that that's what John has in mind at all. He, it's really more of a personification of anything that opposes of the teaching of Christ, and he's dealing with 
false teachers and with false teaching that was prevalent at the time. So it's not like, oh, this is something I need to watch out for in the future. This is something I've got to be attentive to in the present because it is it is a current threat to the gospel and to uh, uh, to the quality of my relationship and and to the authenticity of my life that I am avoiding that which opposes Christ in order to choose that which represents who he is uh, and and who he is to me personally. So as you wrap up your reading and your study of this uh, passage in second john come back to that question ron raised earlier what am i going to do with this and just to do some good evaluation how am i how is it evident that i'm walking in truth how is it evident that i'm walking in love how is it evident that i'm walking in obedience and where you see those gaps just make a commitment to okay i'm going to change that and I want to begin embracing walking in truth, love, and obedience. Thank you guys for the conversation. Thank you, Ron, for your participation in this. And we want, again, always grateful to those of you who are listening to our podcast. Uh, Lynn, you mentioned at the beginning of the show that you um, and Ron were going to talk about uh, Herschel Hobbes. So I'll let you close out with that. Thank you. Yes, uh, we're as you order fall materials, I always encourage people to get one of these supplemental commentaries. We have had two, the Advanced Bible Study and Herschel Hobbes Commentary. But when you come to the fall, Hobbes Commentary is still available, but we're giving it a new name. And we're going to be calling it Advanced Bible Study. Same as the other one, Advanced Bible Study, but King James. So Advanced Bible Study will still be written. It, it will be written by Ron. Ron will still be the that uh, that author for it. But it will be in two versions, uh, uh, Christian Standard Bible, King James Version. Uh, two versions will be available to order. Uh, but look for the one that's called Advanced Bible Study. For those of you who've been using the Herschel Hobbes Commentary, it's going to look and feel exactly the same. You're still going to have the great content you've expected from Ron it's just going to have a different name. So, Ron, thank you again for being a part of this podcast. It's always my pleasure. I appreciate you including me. And we hope all of you have a great Bible study this week.